This podcast is brought to you by Zeno Mueller, three-time Olympian and gold medalist. Imagine a 20-second 2K PR by the end of this season, or even sooner. Elite rowing coach by Zeno Mueller is a competitive advantage. The ERG score is the SAT of rowing, so find out what Zeno Mueller can do for you. Make sure to use coupon 4STARS, F-O-R-S-T-A-R-S, for $200 off on any program he has on his website. Zeno is an Olympian and graduate from Brown University, coached by the legendary Steve Gladstone. He'll get you right, he'll get your 2K down, and he'll be a better athlete after his training. So make sure you tune in with Zeno and get some coaching at EliteRowingCoach.com. On tonight's program, ladies and gentlemen, we have something that's going to make you sick. Welcome, everyone, to our episode of the Four Stars Podcast. Today, we got the man, Trevor Michelson. How you doing? Great, great. Thanks for having me here, Hudson. Psyched to be here. Of course. Trevor is the head coach of the Dartmouth men's lightweight team, for those of you who don't know, and also going to be the coach for the U23 team this summer as well. How excited are you that the camp's going to be at Dartmouth this year? Yeah, really excited. I mean, it was it was great to have the camp last year. And what maybe people don't know is not only are we having the men's sweep camp again, but we're having the women's sweep camp and the women's sculling camp. So it's going to be, you know, 50 athletes kind of training for the U.S. team and trying to win, you know, medals at the world championship. So we're really happy and proud of kind of our boathouse and our body of water, especially in the summer. There's a long tradition of the uh, senior team coming up to Hanover to train before they head to Europe. The men's eight, which was coached by Steve Gladstone, actually spent the summer after selection last summer up in Hanover training. And uh, we're just psyched to show off the boathouse and uh, make some boats go fast. That's amazing. I'm excited to see how that camp pans out this year. Going on to the team right now, you've been the head coach there for a while and you're you're enjoying it? Yeah, this is my seventh year at Dartmouth. I started as an assistant coach and, you know, I just really like Dartmouth and really like the lightweight team. And I think I've seen a lot of great athletes kind of come and go through here and, and seen them develop. But I've also developed a lot. You know, I've kind of grown up as a coach you know, at Dartmouth. So I, I just feel like it's been a really great time in my life and just glad to keep it rolling. Today's podcast is brought to you by Pocock Racing Shells, a name synonymous with championship winning boats and groundbreaking innovation for over a century. For 113 years, Pocock has been the heartbeat of rowing, crafting boats that have conquered waters, broken records, and earned medals like no other. Our legacy is your assurance of quality and performance. Our dedicated customer base includes prestigious Division I colleges and universities, as well as countless smaller schools and clubs across the USA. We're honored to be your trusted partner in the world of rowing. But what sets Pocock apart? We remain family-owned, committed to preserving our rich tradition of handcrafting every boat right here at Everett, Washington. With unparalleled service staff and decades of knowledge, we are well prepared to help keep you on the water and ready for race day. Be sure to catch us at this year's upcoming regattas, where we'll be unveiling the future of rowing, the X1X and the X4, the next evolution in our X-Series boats coming in 2024. What's the culture been like 
from, you know, growing up in New York and now, you know, living in New Hampshire. Yeah, it's crazy, right? So I grew up, you know, right in the heart of Manhattan. So Hanover, New Hampshire is up in the woods, a great place if you like skiing, hiking, biking, you know, fishing, swimming, all that outdoor activities is something that you know, we have in spades here. And it's it was a little bit of an adjustment. But I think, you know, I remember talking to my dad, and he was just so thrilled that I was going to be out of a city, right. And I think New York City is unlike any other place on earth, you know, I'd say Hanover is too just on the other end of the spectrum. I've never been to New Hampshire before been in New York multiple times with lots of family out there. But yeah, never been to New Hampshire. I've I've only heard it's it's a it's a great place. Like all those things that you mentioned, everyone said it's been you know great to be and do those activities out there. Uh, but you know, speaking about your college years at Wesleyan, you know, the the Q and A that we posted on our socials had actually some questions about your time at Wesleyan. But uh, maybe if you want to recap your years there, that'd be great. Yeah, so I both went to Wesleyan and coached there. Actually, I got my undergrad degree there. I got my master's degree there while I was coaching. I love Wesleyan, you know, really do. I loved rowing there. You know, my best friends to this day are my teammates from college. The NESCAC, it's it's funny because NESCAC rowing was kind of like a hidden, hidden gem to a lot of people for a long time. I think now with the IRA and years and influx of international recruits at kind of the division one level, there's been a lot more exposure to NESCAC schools. And uh, I'm still very close with my college coach, Phil Carney, who's still the head coach at Wesleyan. And Wesleyan, they won the silver medal at the IRA last year and are kind of looking to have another pretty successful year. And just talking to him, the standard of rowing and the caliber of athlete at Wesleyan, and I think all those NESCACs now is so much different than my time even coaching there, but especially my time as an athlete. You know, I was always kind of, even though I was a smaller, kind of lightweight size guy, I was always kind of you know, firmly could get myself in the top eight on the ERG, fight my way into the varsity. I think I'd be really lucky to be in the top 20 on the ERG at Wesleyan now. To see that change is, you know, really exciting as an alum. I talk about with my buddies from college all the time, you know, none of us would have sniffed the varsity, you know, this, this time now. Something that's really cool about Dartmouth and I, you know, Wesleyan's very similar in that. And I know Williams and Trinity, they're small schools, but such a large percent of the student body is involved in varsity athletics, right? Like at Dartmouth, I think varsity athletes make up like 20% of the student population. And then rowing is like the one of the biggest sports there if you combine the lightweights, heavyweights and women. So there's a real kind of culture of respect uh, an admiration between athletes, which is really cool. Like I look back at my college experience and, you know, my senior year, I lived with three rowers and two basketball players. Yeah. I actually have a buddy of mine that plays basketball for Wesley and he went to my high school and he plays there now. Living, I think with different sports too, is like a lot of people don't understand, like rowers get up the crack of dawn for, for most things. So I'm sure they saw that too, you know? Yeah, I remember there's a snowstorm, you know, and classes were canceled and they closed the gym. So we actually snuck into the gym and we stole a bunch of ergs and we moved them into our apartment so we could work out, right, for a couple of days. And I just remember our roommate, Sean, Derek, and the basketball team were so jealous that like we could do that, right? Like they couldn't move the court into our living room, but we could. And we had, they were a little bummed because we had like guys in the team kind of rolling through, stinking up the place, but 
it was, it was pretty cool. That's actually funny. So, but you actually spent time, you know, during the summertime coaching and not coaching. Well, you were coaching, but uh, rowing for multiple programs. Now, most of them are high performance clubs for the U.S. national team. Uh, you know, speaking of Vesper and uh, New York Athletic Club. So, what what was that like? Because Vesper, obviously, that's that's Philadelphia. Rowing in New York, it's a pretty small kind of the New York City rowing community is pretty small. Like all my idols in the sport kind of rode at the New York AC. And all I ever wanted to do was kind of like don the winged foot, right? And uh, race for the New York AC and win a win a national championship. There was still a, a separation between club nationals and elite nationals. But anyway, just, you know, any kind of national championship. I just love my time at the New York AC. I think I would kind of train all year. And once the season would end, kind of ramp it up, getting excited for the summer. One, I could row lightweight. So I rode open weight in college and I would, uh, you know, race lightweight in the summers. Um, and the the best part of kind of New York AC, Vesper, all these places I went was being exposed to guys from all different college teams. Right. I'm always telling my guys, like I would go, I'd learn a ton from the coaches at these places. Also rowing with other guys. Right. I think the challenge of any summer team, and this is true at a New York AC Vesper, but it's also true with the U.S. team. Right. The under 23 team getting guys, the top guys from everyone's program into a unit over six weeks getting them on the same page technically, right? Getting them on the same page kind of mentally. That's a challenge and it takes a lot of kind of being malleable. And this is something I still talk about today, how to hold yourself and how to act and respond, whether practices are going well, or more importantly, when practices aren't going well, right? And how to hold yourself and support people. Uh, you know, I rode with guys who were so helpful in the boat you know, you know, little, little talking or not talking or little tidbits. And then of course I rode with guys who weren't very helpful, you know, got a little angry or frustrated and maybe took it out, you know, in a way they shouldn't have. And, and that was something I definitely learned just being exposed to a ton of different athletes from a ton of different places. Going into the Q and a here, cause we have lots of questions from our supporters, your favorite workout to do in the single school. In the single, I was just talking to one of my guys about this. Uh, it's definitely my favorite, just really long river racing, right? So extra long races, like obviously not three miles, but maybe four and a half or five miles starting really, you know, 10, 15 second centers, sending off boats and just letting them race, you know, no rules, just trying to find the best turn, you know, a couple buoys for safety, but just letting guys kind of use the river, use the currents and kind of race. I think that's, that's my favorite thing to do in the single. Obviously you got to be rowing hard and, and long and powerful and consistently over the course of the race, but you have to be aware of your surroundings, right? You have to pick your moments, right? If there's an inside turn coming up, and you're neck and neck with a guy, you might have to go. Saturdays, we'll go out and we'll do that in, you know, 20 singles. And then we'll rank those guys based on the singles performance. And then we'll go and do it again in eights. So, you know, maybe we'll go use those singles to make a 1v, 2v, 3v, or maybe we'll use those singles to make even boats and then kind of come back out. And that feeling of going from the single into an eight, you know, and it's a rocket ship and it's flying, it's, it's it's really exciting. And I think a lot of our success this fall, I think, was due to that kind of training. Taking time away from the sweet boats and getting into going boats, 
it, it helps monumentally, not just for, you know, just getting into a different boat, but also in my personal opinion, it's, you know, injury prevention. I think we see less injuries in sculling boats than we do in sweep boats. Um, and it, maybe if you want to touch on that too, that'd be interesting to hear your take. Yeah. On it. You know, injuries, right. I think in rowing overuse injuries are really common, right. Especially with training volume and training load these days, the guys who can keep their whole team consistently training from September to, to June are going to be the most successful and a surefire way to not consistently train is to be hurt. Right. And injury prevention is something I've really focused on the last kind of, I don't know, six, seven years or five years of my coaching. I'm knocking on wood here. This year has kind of been our best, you know, other than a couple twisted ankles and, and broken wrists from non-rowing things. We really haven't had any, any, any guys knocked out, especially through this winter. In the single, you can go out and row your own pace, your own heart rate, your own kind of the, the correct blood concentration. And I think that's something that's been really successful for us. You know, a little bit of strength training can be really good for injury prevention. And then something we've done this winter is we've spent a lot of time on dynamic ergs the RP3 and the concept two dynamic. And we do, we test on the static. We do our kind of hard weekly pieces on the static erg so that we mostly so we can compare the data and kind of streamline it. And I'm not too concerned with my guys, you know, 2K PR. I love the erg and I love testing on the erg to track progress. I'm not so concerned with what they can go on, you know, 2K on one day on the static erg, but you know, they are, it's very important to them. And I appreciate that and respect that. And so we, you know, do our testing there. We'll do one shorter steady state workout on the static, but everything else this winter has been kind of dynamic uh, C2 and the RP3. All those factors have played a role. The other is sleep. And we try to, as much as we can, limit our morning practices. So if we do have a morning practice, if we can go at eight instead of 7.30 or 7.30 instead of seven, we'll do it. If we can split groups, so we have the majority of the team going later, so they're getting more sleep, we'll do it. And we'll try to have the afternoon be our main practice of the day because of that. I don't think I've ever heard a coach talk about that before. You're at Dartmouth, for God's sakes. Totally. I mean, it's it's a hard school. I mean, it's not, not an easy school to be at. So, I mean, kudos to you for, for you know, looking at that. Uh, also, now, you know, you're a New York native. We talking the Yankees here or Mets? I got to know. Um, yeah, Yankees. I'm okay. like, four, I'm fourth generation Yankees fan. So. Okay. Just wanted to make sure we were on the same page there. Now, this is a question about recruiting. And I know that it's a big thing for college coaches. What 2K are you recruiting? I don't, I don't know if you want to share that out there. Sure. But. Yeah. I mean, that obviously the number one question, right? Uh, anytime I'm on the phone with a kid, anytime I talk to anyone, you know, here's what I'll say. So I'll use, I, we always use 630, right? You know, as the recruiting benchmark for 2K. That being said, I have recruited guys way faster and way slower, right? I use, I always use Jack Stone as the example, and I think he's probably pretty sick of it now, but we recruited Jack Stone. I couldn't even tell you his 2K. I'm going to say 645, not someone who you would typically think would get a recruiting slot at an Ivy League, you know, division one lightweight rowing team, but Jack Stone was, you know, tall. He was really good in the single. I think he came in fifth at the Charles. 
And he was fifth or sixth at youth nationals in the single that spring. He loved rowing. He seemed like a Dartmouth guy to me. And Jack Stone has, you know, obviously progressed on the erg, but more importantly, he stroked the US under 23 lightweight quad that made the A final in 2021. He stroked our varsity last year. He could light, he could very well stroke our varsity this year. He's had a massive impact on our program. We wouldn't be where we are if it wasn't for someone like that. And if I stuck with 630, he would have never even gotten a, a return email. So I would say that it's hard to expect skinny high school guys to crush the erg. I'm blown away by how many lightweight high school kids, so under 160 pound high school kids, break 630. We have an incoming freshman who's coming in next year from the Bay Area. The kid's under 2020 for 6K. He's like 155 pounds. Unbelievable. I am blown away by those numbers. I really am. It's it's truly impressive. I I can't imagine as a former 145 pound high school lightweight who was so psyched to break 650. I remember it, you know, to go 644, whatever it was. I was so excited about that. I'm blown away, you know, and a lot of guys need more time to develop. And something I'm really confident about with kind of Dartmouth and our training is the ability to train these guys to get better on the ERG. You know, that's something I have a lot of confidence in, but they have to be able to do the training. So they got to love the sport. So I'm looking for guys who have a real passion for the sport. They've got small boat skills. You know, they love to train. They love to race. You know, they've got good physical attributes, you know, that that help rowing. You know, maybe it's not showing up on the erg. And, you know, they're pretty good on the erg for their size. Rowing's not quite cycling when it comes to watts per kilo, right? But watts per kilogram are important. Right. And so if you're 145 pound kid going 638, that's really, really good watts per kilo, you know. And so I say 630, but, um, you know, the ERG is a great tool, you know, similar to like the SAT, right, of rowing. But uh, there's a lot more than that when it comes to the recruiting process. Uh, and in ways you've seen kids from smaller clubs get, get successfully recruited or you know, some sort of attention from coaches? Yeah, I think it's obviously easier to, you know, if you're a, if you're at one of these teams, like a CRI in Oakland Strokes and Marin, where there's like hundreds of kids and you've climbed to their top boat, you've obviously like stepped on a lot of heads or made a lot of progress over guys. Uh, I think it's easy. Getting yourself exposure, right? Like if there's opportunity and obviously there's financial issues and just like location issues in terms of like going to summer racing teams for everyone. The ERG is a great tool for those guys. Small boats, if they're rowing small boats, kind of distinguishing yourself in small boats is a great tool. Reaching out, right? I think the beauty of the internet and, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of make yourself be known. Don't be deterred if, coach doesn't respond to your email. Like I'm not the best on email, right? Like my assistant, like we'll be honest, we're not always the best on email, right? But when there's a kid, when we're going through our email and there's a kid and he keeps on updating us and he keeps on wanting to, to be known that he wants to come to Dartmouth, like we take notice. 
I think that most, the number one thing when you're recruiting a high school kid is you're picking your Christmas tree in July. Let's say there's a hundred kids that go 645, right? Lightweight kids. In four years, you know, 10 of those or 20 of those could go 615, right? Your job as a recruiter is to find which of those kids are going to develop. And, you know, everyone's got their idea of what it takes to develop into that athlete. You know, I talked about passion, right? Consistency, like someone who can train and row for four years. Like those are kind of the attributes, the intangibles that we're looking for. You know, if you think that's you as a high school athlete, you know, let it be known. I always say, you know, if you don't get your first response, just keep going. You know, I mean, the coaches are used to it too. I mean, they see it all the time. You know, they're used to kids, you know, reaching out to them multiple times before they send them back that initial response. So you know, yeah. I, it's good that you're, you know, looking out for that. Who amongst the kids that you've coached would you most want back on the team? All my fifth years that graduated last year would love to have them for a sixth year, of course. You know, I really mean that. I'm going to say a special kid. I still think to this day, one of the best athletes I've ever coached really got screwed by COVID, the timing of it, like two days before the season got canceled. He was off term in the winter. He came back. He set the yard for 12K. He went like 142 or 143, like some phenomenal split. I just remember him smiling to me and being like, you know, I'm, I'm fit, man. I'm fit. You know, uh, JP Passell, incredibly tough. He was a Marin kid. He was our captain. Super tough, phenomenal boat mover. Would definitely love to have him on our team, but also would love for him to get that, like, you know, closure that he obviously never got. The difference between being a cocky coxswain and being confident. You could elaborate on that. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit, right? When we first chatted. And I talked about Sammy. Th- this came up when we were talking about Sammy Hudagi, uh, who is the varsity coxswain at Dartmouth that obviously I've gotten to know from a couple bays over. Uh, but I coached the under 23 Cox 4 and he coxed that crew. I felt so fortunate to have him as the coxswain of that boat for a couple reasons. One, he had actually... Cox the Cox for in Bulgaria as a junior. And this was, we were in Bulgaria for the under 23s. So talk about someone who knew the course too. He had come in a really disappointing fourth at that regatta. Talk about someone who was hungry. But also I think this kid, Sammy, he came in as a freshman into college, Dartmouth. There were a lot of fifth years at the time, like big, strong guys, you know, really, you know, the Dartmouth heavyweights, like a loud, rambunctious group. And he just kind of fit in and was kind of like a natural leader, right? And I think, and I don't know, maybe Sammy would be upset. I'm going to share this. You know, I just remember being in a hotel in Clemson. We're hanging out in the lobby, like doing lineups or whatever as the coaches. And there's a coffee bar and Sammy comes down. He's wearing like a Dartmouth green uh, robe. He's got his like aviators. He's got kind of like my style mustache. You know, he's like pouring himself a coffee. You know, all of us are kind of like looking at this guy and he's just like, hey coach. I just think like he's got a a, a self-confidence that's palpable. And I think people see that and they respond to that. But more importantly, I think he carries it into the boat with him, right? And, and you want that, right? As a coach, coxswains are coaches, right? They have to be, especially at the highest levels because- 
I've, I've had some really good coxswains who it was like having an assistant coach out there and you could not talk and just let them cook. And the boat, like they could make a boat better through a practice. You could sometimes, thinking of this uh, girl, Sam Sizler, she coxed the Dartmouth heavyweight varsity when they won a bronze medal at the IRA. Then she ended up coxing for our team. She would go out and sometimes... I would shut up and just listen to her right from the launch. And I just like try to hear what she was saying because she just had flow and she was good. And talk about someone who was confident, right? I think cocky, right? Can kind of get on people's nerves a little bit, right? Can maybe be a little combative. You definitely don't want that. Maybe cocky is a little bit of someone putting on a face because they're really not that self-confident, right? And and I think rowers can sniff that out. You know, guys can sniff out when when you're being real and it can be such a, I mean, having a good coxswain is so impactful for a crew. And I think if you look at any good sprint, you know, behind any good sprint, any good small win, you know, uh, you know, there's a, there's a great coxswain behind it. I had a coach, Kevin Murphy coached me at the New York AC. I remember him saying, we used to do a lot of these, like the light eight and heavyweight eight would do pieces, uh, on the lagoon and, uh, at the New York AC. And he would say like, look over at the guy across from you. Like you're responsible for winning your seat and the coxswain's responsible for the decks. Everyone wants to know, What's the team culture like? I feel really fortunate to be coaching this team. And, you know, I've obviously, I've coached a lot of teams at Dartmouth and a lot of teams in general, and I've been on a lot of teams as an athlete. Uh, And this is a special one. You know, something that's cool about this group is, you know, we've, so we've got fifth years and one of our fifth years actually took a gap year. So we've got a fifth year who's like, I don't know, he could be 25. And then we've got 18 year old freshmen, right? And our freshmen and fifth years, our freshmen, seniors, sophomores, seniors, fifth years, juniors, they're all always hanging out with each other. They're so tight. And like, if I'm on campus, whether it's 10 a.m. or 10 p.m., I'm driving through campus and I see a Dartmouth lightweight, he's with another D150. You know, they're always together. They're really tight. We train pretty hard and we train a lot. You know, we run a high, high mileage, high volume training program. And these guys spend a lot of time together and they spend a lot of time at the boathouse. And then, you know, honestly, they go from the boathouse to the showers and the showers to the dining hall and they chop it up, you know? And I think that's such a huge piece to any good team is a really long dinner post-practice, right? To debrief and talk. And, you know, I think our group really supports each other. They're really close with each other, whether they're in the top boat or they're the slowest kid on the team, just trying to make it into a boat. They're friends, they live together, uh, and they support each other, you know, uh, through it all. And I think that's, that's something that I'm really proud of, of this group is just how they've embraced each other, the commitment, the accountability, you know, not once am I ever, you know, worried, is a kid doing enough? You know, I'm more, you know, we spend a lot of our time making sure kids aren't doing too much, you know, Hey, slow down today. You know, you're kind of, you're kind of putting yourself in a hole or like, Hey, you know, I'll go down to the boathouse to work out on Sunday when we don't have practice and I'll see kids, you know, spinning the bike or spinning the erg. And I'm, you know, I'm like, Hey, you know, take it easy. So that's kind of where, where we've kind of developed. And that culture was not this way when I first got here. And I don't say that to take credit for it, but I say that to say that 
it took time to develop and it took a lot of losing and a lot of tough losses being big losses and a lot of tough losses being really small ones. Through that, a stubbornness to just keep persevering is something that has kind of allowed our group to, to come together as it is now. Well, that's amazing. And obviously I talked to John Graves about this, but the upcoming season for your squad, do you talk about that and some of the teams you're going up against? Here's what I'll say about the lightweight sprints league. As lightweight rowing is dying at the Olympic level, at the elite level, you know, the the sprints league, the lightweight sprints league will be the pinnacle of lightweight rowing in the world. I think about last year and, you know, there was a big tailwind, of course, but we went, I you know, 537 and won the B final. If you had told me in, you know, last September that we can go 537, I would be celebrating our gold medals and our sprints championship. You know, we were seventh. It's an incredible league. Every crew is good. It's lightweight rowing. Every crew is the same. We could very well lose all our races by a combined five seconds or win them by a combined three. We have so much respect and admiration for what all the guys in our league are doing at other schools and how fast they're going to be. We train with that respect and understanding and there's not a lot of defense in rowing. So all we can focus on is being the best that we can be. I think we put in a really good block of training from September to now. You know, we're excited to get down south, get back on the water and and start preparing for racing. If we can keep this momentum and trajectory go, we'll be we'll be pretty happy with the results come June. That's great. Going into a topic that might not be the most, I guess, pleasurable topic is when the team unfortunately was cut. Remember, there was this big campaign, Save Dartmouth Lightweight Rowing. That was a huge thing, servicing all rowing. Everyone really knew about it. Maybe if you could talk about that effect on the team and where yeah i mean it, it was huge obviously uh you know so covid happened and that was tough right you know right as we were getting ready to go down south for our spring training trip after a great winter the season's ends we're all really upset kind of through you know the spring supporting each other through the summer as you know we were grieving in a sense right as a lot of everyone in the country was who kind of missed out on their spring racing season and then in june got word of a meeting over email and then we had a meeting and they cut us and men's and women's swimming and uh, men's and women's golf and it was devastating. Obviously, I was crushed personally. Uh, our guys were crushed. So I shifted. It just happened to coincide with a new women's coach at Dartmouth. She had just been hired. She needed an assistant. I was here. I needed a job. She needed someone who knew Dartmouth. You know, I knew Dartmouth. You know, she hired me. And so I started working with our women in September. So I was still at the boathouse. A lot of our guys kept rowing. A bunch started rowing for the heavyweights. And then a lot of them kind of just took time away from school, which was pretty common, right? They just took, they took with Dartmouth, we're on the quarter system. So they took off terms and they went down and we had four guys go down or maybe eight guys go down and just train in Florida somewhere. I, you know, kind of kept talking to all these guys. I would see the lightweights who were rowing for Wyatt squad and coaching the women and alums were really upset. And I was talking to our alums and, you know, I kind of pulled these guys aside, lightweight guys. And we were talking, I said, Hey, look, you know, you guys still got a lot of good rowing left in you. Let's, how about you try to come together and, you know, row a quad at trials, you know, try to go to the under 23 worlds, you know, get a little, I don't know, get something for all this work you put in. So we had four guys, four Dartmouth guys who kind of decided, all right, we're going to train for, to try to win trials and go to the world. So they were down South February. 
all of a sudden we got the same kind of email. We have a meeting and the teams came back and I was on, you know, they told the athletic department first and I'm on the zoom. And during the zoom, I pick up my phone and I called Dan Rook, who was the head coach at the time. I'm like, Dan, you're not going to believe this. We're coming back. And he was like, no way. And I was like, yes. And you got to come back too. And then I'll come back and we'll pick it right up. And we did. And so in kind of February, the team came back. I think the next week I was like, we got practice. And guys started showing up, you know, and I remember we were still in singles, right? There wasn't racing. We weren't allowed to row eights, but we just had guys coming down to the boathouse. No racing. There was no racing on the horizon. They just wanted to train because they want, they were just so psyched to be with each other and be rowing again and have this thing back. And then, you know, it turns out we could kind of race. We didn't have enough guys for an eight on campus, but we had this guys who were training for this quad. Wyatt was kind enough to give us the heavyweight four entry. So we had four lightweights racing in the heavyweight four. They ended up coming in fourth, which was really cool in the Cox four. And then they went into the quad and ended up winning trials and going to the worlds and making the eighth final there. So, and I, and I went with them and that was really great. And then the next year we kind of picked it up and Dan and I talked a lot about, okay, like, what do we want this to be? And we want to be the rebirth of the D-150s. And what's that mean? You know, for us, that was kind of the first step in a lot of the things we do now. We started doing a lot of sculling, right? Because we we believed in the development. And that fall, we uh, selected the head of the Charles 8 by just picking our top eight scholars. You know, we didn't care about port starboards. We just picked our top eight scholars. We threw them in the boat the week before the regatta. We didn't really eat at all. Threw an eight out. They came in fourth. We were like, okay, maybe this is going to work. Unfortunately, it ended really disappointingly. What it did show is guys were so grateful to have this back in their life, right? It was something they loved was taken away from them. And they had this like understanding of what that was like and this appreciation for coming down to the boathouse every day with their friends and doing what they love. And in a lot of ways, you know, that kind of set up, I think it was like a core piece to this group that is still alive of just being grateful and and not, not feeling like, you know, they're entitled to anything at the boathouse, but just, it's such a privilege. It was a blessing in disguise because it, it, it brought us back and it just showed me, you know, we had the right guys because they just love the sport. And, and that's, you know, I talk a lot about passion in the recruiting process and, and just like passion for the sport. And I think a lot of it came from watching those guys. You know, we talked a lot about that. I don't remember exactly who it was, but I remember it was the difference between motivation and discipline and how people can be motivated, but are you disciplined? You know, I just wanted to say, you know, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. And, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to have had you on the show. I wish you and the team the best this season to go out there and crush it. You know, thanks for being on the show, Coach. Appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it, Hudson. It's, it's been a lot of fun.